Hello and welcome to a unique version of Story Conversations. I am Travis, lead pastor of Story Church here in Rancho Cucamonga. And Stephen is MIA. He is missing in action. Not KIA, MIA. He is MIA because he and his family are on a well-deserved vacation. So we are praying that they will have a restful and joyful time. Thank you, as always, uh, to anyone and everyone who, over the the course of uh, the infancy of this podcast, have submitted questions. You can do that at 909-317-3580. Uh, We love your questions. We want to continue to see them come in as we walk through different sermon series. And so we've got Galatians right now. We'll we'll do Proverbs in the summer. We'll we'll do 1 Peter in the fall. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what we continue to do with this podcast. So my intention for the podcast this time is not to drone on and on by myself for 50 minutes because I do that almost every Sunday at Story Church. So you don't want to listen to me do that. Uh, without any major uh, preparation. So I want to just spend a little bit of time uh, maybe diving a little bit deeper into some of the things I didn't get to touch on uh, in the sermon on Sunday. So if you weren't there Sunday, we walked through Galatians 3, 15 through 25. And and really what Paul is doing there is he is um, comparing and contrasting uh, Abraham and Moses, the promise made to Abraham and the covenant made to Moses. And the reason why he's doing this is because the Judaizers sent, sent from the Pharisees in Jerusalem, the false teachers that he's addressing here in the Galatian church, they've come in after Paul has left. And when Paul came, he preached just an unfiltered gospel, the gospel that we're after every Sunday at Story Church, that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when we repent of our sins, we turn from our sins and trust in Jesus by faith, we're declared righteous and holy, we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and we're made alive forever um, through him. That's the gospel that Paul preached, and it's a very simple gospel. And the Judaizers came in after him, and they tried to um, muddy up the waters, so to speak, of the gospel that that Paul preached. And what they said was, um, Paul's gospel is maybe 50% of the way, but the true gospel, we're going to add to what Paul preached to make it the full gospel. And what they said was, after you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, the Messiah, you also have to do some other things. You've, uh, if you're a man, you've got to be circumcised. Um, you've likely got to follow the different um, calendars and rituals and ceremonies that are described in the Old Testament, and and you've got to do those things uh, to their determined perfection. And one of the problems with the Pharisees at large as well is is not just their obedience to the, I believe, 613 Mosaic laws, but they also added extra biblical rules and rituals on top of the Mosaic laws. And so it wasn't just obey the Old Testament laws. It was also obey um, these different yokes, these different burdens that we're putting on you. And so naturally the Galatian Christians are very, very confused is what, what is true? What is right? Um, what is enough? And Paul is writing this church, uh, this letter, because what he is trying to say is Jesus full stop. Jesus full stop is enough for your salvation. You don't need to do anything else. Trust in him. 
Now, I say all that to say because when the Judaizers came in, one of the main things they pointed to is the reality that because Moses came second after Abraham, he must have replaced or superseded Abraham and the promise made to Abraham. Um, and they they loved Moses, and, and I love Moses, and, and, and we love our Old Testament here at Story Church, and, and as we've preached through Galatians, the intention has never been to, to kind of dismiss uh, the Old Testament, and we'll get into that here in a second, um, or downplay the vitality, <clears throat> the truthfulness, and the need for the Old Testament uh, in our lives. And so um, these Judaizers, they're, they're saying, hey, Moses superseded Abraham. And so in Galatians 3, 15 through 25, Paul is really just kind of um, honing in on what are the differences between Abraham and Moses the law and the promise. What's the continuity there? Is there a contradiction there? Um, is God confusing us? Is God doing two different things with, with two different people? What's what's going on here? Um, and really, one of the main points I tried to strike to the heart of uh, yesterday during the sermon, yesterday, I'm recording this on Monday morning, by the way. Um, so yesterday being Sunday. Um, anyways, one, one of the things if I don't have someone here with me to keep me on track, this could go bad. We're going to, we're going to try really hard here. Um, so one of the things I tried to strike to the heart of is, is when Paul is walking through maybe the differences, so to speak, between Moses and Abraham, um, what he is saying, what Paul is saying is that there's, there are two different pathways, two different roads leading to two different destinations. So when he's dealing with Moses, Paul is not dismissing Moses. Paul nowhere does that um, in the New Testament. What he is saying is God's intended purpose with Moses and the law that was given to Moses and the the law that um, the Pharisees loved and the Judaizers loved and the Judaizers were teaching to the Galatian Christians, what he was saying with that is the intended result is our is to reveal to us transgression. That's what verse 19 says in Galatians 3, that the law was given because of transgression. It reveals transgression to us. And Romans 7, 7 says, if you don't know the law, then you don't know what sin is. Um, and so maybe a, a good analogy for that is, uh, for those of you who are listening who are parents, um, we all know that by about, I don't know, 10 months old, our little babies begin to reveal their sin nature. Um, they begin to reveal how fallen they are. And it's because we know as adults, mature people, maturing, I should say, people, we know what right living is, or we should know what right living is. And that little baby is not living rightly, um, screaming to get its way, which is just a natural response of an infant. Um, but also, like that's not how mature people act. And we wouldn't know um, the fallenness of our children if we didn't know what the standard was of mature living. And so that's a loose analogy of, of how that might work. And so the law of Moses was given to show us our sinfulness, to show us how fallen we are. And once we are looking into the law it should, as the main point of the sermon yesterday was, it should drive us to Jesus. And the Judaizers were saying, no, the law is showing you your fallen nature. Yes, but the their answer wasn't to go to Jesus. Their answer was to try harder, do more, be more perfect, 
be more perfect more often. Uh, and what's interesting about the Judaizers is that they never held themselves to the standard that they were holding everyone else to. They tried, sure, to to be good um, Jewish people, but as as fallen men as well, there's no way they upheld all the standards that they were uh, burdening these Galatian Christians with. So the law of Moses was one pathway meant to show us our sinfulness, and the end of that pathway was to drive us to Jesus. The pathway of Abraham and the promise given to Abraham uh, It's a pathway of grace, not works like the law. And the pathway of grace leads us to Jesus. So the law drives us to Jesus, but the pathway points to the character of Jesus. The the promise uh, points to uh, where forgiveness and life are found. So then what Paul is essentially saying is that the Judaizers are comparing and contrasting Moses and, and Abraham and saying Moses supersedes Abraham, the law supersedes the promise, works supersede grace. And Paul is saying, no, they they work in unison in two different ways to get two different ends. The law shows us our fallen nature and the promise shows us where our fallen nature goes to find forgiveness. And so that's what one of the main things I was I was trying to drive at yesterday. And, and one of the reasons why I want to do that is because I think we all put maybe extra biblical laws on our own lives. Um, we all put extra extra biblical requirements and works on our lives. And there's there's all kinds of, of good, and we've talked about this each week on the podcast, there's all kinds of good spiritual disciplines that we read about in the New Testament, um, none of which are designed to save us. All the spiritual disciplines are designed to drive us to Jesus in the same way the Mosaic law was designed to drive us to Jesus with our sinful nature. The spiritual disciplines reveal to us how dependent we are, how needy we are, um, how much we need to abide in the vine and, and on a regular ongoing basis that we don't just go to church on Sunday and get the spiritual high and, and we get a hit in our veins and, and then we are sufficient for the rest of the week. No, the disciplines outside of the gathering, whether it be uh, reading your Bible devotionally or it be praying or fasting or living on mission or serving, generosity, all the different things we preached in the fall, those are all designed not to save us. Absolutely none of those things save us. We can say that as clear as day, but as a saved person, a, a person who is following Jesus, those things are designed to drive us further and further into the depths of Jesus, which at the end, the end of the story for all of us um, is a remade garden, a remade new heaven and new earth, just like um, Genesis 1 and 2 before sin entered the picture. And we will be living in a state like Adam and Eve before sin, where we will be ruling and reigning alongside Jesus and having dominion and and working. And, and, and the ultimate goal of all of that is an increased um, desire to be in the presence of our triune God. Like that's the goal of the Christian life. So the law was designed um, to show you that law obedience doesn't get you into the presence of Jesus. Spiritual disciplines, um, they point you to where you can be in, in the presence of Jesus. And the only way we are in the presence of Jesus is by a gift of his grace. 
And and in the end, like we're going to be inexhaustibly exploring the depths and the beauty of Jesus and his love for us and his kindness to us. And so when we're talking through our own lives and considering um, what should I be doing, what what should I not be doing, how should I be living, in some ways that's asking a law-based question. Do more, try harder, do less, try less. Um, when uh, what we're trying to get after in Galatians is live as a freed person. You are freed by Jesus. You are forgiven by Jesus. Nothing and no one can change that. Nothing can separate you from his love, if you read Romans 8. And and so as a freed person, the entire goal of my, my life is to be um, increasingly in his presence and increasingly used by him in all of life. And so when I'm asking the questions, what should I do or not do? It's less about earning what I already have. And it's more about becoming who I already am. You already are a child of God and you need to live in that way. So the decisions that you make, the things you think about, the words you speak, uh, the people you interact with, uh, those micro decisions, so to speak, of your life, you need to make those decisions in light of, is this increasing Uh, my desire to be in the presence of God and is this increasing my usefulness to him? And then when you fail, because you will, when I fail, because I do, I go back to the well for, for forgiveness. And every time I go there, I get it. Every time. Every time you go there in Christ, you get it. So that's a little bit about the, the two different pathways and kind of a, a couple of little rabbit trails there. The second thing um, I want to talk about is um, the three uses of the law. Um, we, we spent a little bit of time talking about the law serving as a mirror, the law serving as a curb, and the law serving as a guide. So let me just kind of like double down on what I, what I said there. The, the mirror, just, just talked about that a second ago. It, the law, when we hold our lives up to the standard of the law, the thing we see in the mirror is our fallen nature, and it drives us to Jesus. When the law serves as a curb, it curbs evil or injustice in this world, Um, which is why if you look around the world, um, democratic governments, so to speak, and the laws that they've had enshrined, um, I'm not saying that they're Christian nations or their founders or the ones who wrote the laws were writing explicitly from the Bible, but a lot of the laws that we have in our land um, reflect what has been in the Bible forever uh, since since uh, God inspired the authors of the Bible to write it. Um, and so any good law is just a reflection of God's heart. And, and those laws are designed to curb evil and injustice in this world. So how did the ancient world treat orphans and widows and women and the diseased and um, strangers and refugees? How did the ancient world treat those people? I'm poorly. I, I said yesterday they were treated as subhuman. And if you go across the world um, today and, and and you you see maybe different uh, refugee ethnicities living in in other countries, how are they treated? I mean, look at the the Uyghurs in in China. How are they treated? They're treated as subhuman and put in concentration camps, and they're they're providing labor, slave labor. Like they're treated as subhuman. God in His law. Uh, intends to prevent all of those things. It is in God's law how we see 
how God's people are to treat orphans, how they're to treat widows, how they're to treat the foreigner and the outcast. And we treat them in the way that God treats them with love and dignity and honor and service and kindness. Um, I talked about it a little bit yesterday in Ruth. We walked through Ruth in, in December. Um, Boaz owns this big field, but he's commanded by God's law to only um, harvest from the middle of that field. He's to leave all four edges of his field unharvested. Why? So that the foreigner who's passing through town can harvest something from there and have food to eat. So that the widow can harvest uh, unharmed in the city um, from that, that, that edge of the field and she can have something to eat. So the orphan, like the, these different categories of people who had no way to provide for themselves, it was through the edges of the field that God's law was designed to say, you, the, you Boaz, you field owner are responsible for them. You are to treat them with love and you're to feed them because that's how God treats them. And so his law there um, was designed to curb evil or injustice in this world, which is why we're we're commanded to to live with justice and and to love mercy and to walk humbly before God, because that's that's the law summed up. Um, We're not to love evil or injustice. And then the final way the law um, is used is as a guide showing us what's pleasing to God. So when Boaz is obeying these laws and and not harvesting the edges of the field, um, he is living in a way that shows the heart of God to those people who are harvesting the edges of his field. And he's living in a way that is pleasing to God. And so when we, with maybe with our money, we can use an example here, when we um, are using our money as good stewards and we're, we're using it generously to serve the poor and provide for the orphan and love the widow and help those who are helpless and of themselves, we are showing, not only showing God's heart to those people, but we're also living in a way that is pleasing to God. And as he has entrusted those things to us, um, we have proven ourselves to be trustworthy and proven ourselves um, to, to reflect him to this world. And so that's how the law was used in, in the Old Testament. Now Jesus comes into the picture and he fulfills the law. He um, perfectly obeys every single one of the laws without fail every moment of his life. He is truly the only spotless one, the only blameless one, the only one um, who can can take a stone and throw it at someone else because whoever is without sin, you can cast the stone. If you have sin, you can set that stone down and, and get in the middle of the circle because you are a fallen person um, to, to kind of mix Bible stories there. Um, Jesus is truly the only one who could pick up the stone and, and throw it because he is truly the only sinless one. So he comes in and he fulfills the law. And and when we have faith in him, he grants his fulfillment of the law to our account. We are now seen as Jesus is seen. We are clothed, robed in his righteousness, his perfection, his law abiding. So what that means is we're no longer under the law, so to speak. We are now under Christ, united to Christ. But that doesn't mean that we just get to wilden out in this world. The Holy Spirit of God now dwells in us. And what I talked about yesterday towards the end of the sermon is that the Spirit um, tutors us or guides us or teaches us in the same way the law does. 
So the, the Holy Spirit for the Christian indwelling in the believer now serves as our mirror, um, convicting us of sin. You all know it. Um, sin in the moment feels pleasurable, uh, it, but it's temporal. It's it's not a long-lasting pleasure because sin is never pleasurable in the end. It might promise that, and you might feel that, that bliss for a moment, um, but then when the Holy Spirit dwells, when a ser- sw- dwells, <laughs> dwells within us, there we go, uh, and serves as the mirror into our lives, we are convicted of that sin. So gossip, we gossip for a moment. And for, for that little fleeting moment, we get this perverted sense of pleasure of, oh man, I, I, I nailed that person. Like they hurt me and I'm going to go gossip about them. I'm going to feel better about this. Um, and then the Holy Spirit moments later, minutes later, maybe days later, convicts us of that sin. He's serving as a mirror in that moment. And conviction is not condemning us to say you're no longer a Christian. It's saying there's a better way. It's it's the way of Jesus. And we repent and we seek forgiveness, or we should repent and seek forgiveness. If we don't, then that sin just continues to dwell within us and our, and our bones waste away, uh, rot away, is what, what the Bible says. So the Holy Spirit serves as a mirror. The Holy Spirit serves as a curb, preventing evil and injustice in our lives. Um, and evil and injustice, we can talk about it on a grand scale with genocide and famine and wars and all those kind of things, but we can also make it deeply personal. Um, evil is not just this grand cosmic thing. It's also a deeply personal and sometimes um, small thing in our lives. It's not, not a small thing, but it's, it's not as grand as, as a genocide, um, which is why when, when Paul is walking through elsewhere in the Bible, whether it be Galatians 5 with, with the fruit of the Spirit and, and the fruit of the flesh, or it be Colossians 3 with things were to put to death and things were to put on or live into, he, he talks about just very simple sins that you and I struggle with on a day-to-day basis, sexual morality and, um, and a lying tongue. And um, he, he talks about gossip and, and slander and hatred and uh, adultery and, and all of these other things. And, and when we have that, that sinful fleshly kind of propensity to live into the flesh and give way to those sins, the Holy Spirit serves as our curb, holding us back from those things. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit guides, just like the law guides, the Holy Spirit guides us into what is pleasing to God um, and what is honorable to him and what gets us further and, and deeper into his presence. So it's the Holy Spirit that's, that whispers to us, Hey, not this way. Don't go the way of Satan. Um, go this way. Live into my promises. Live into um, devotion to me, neediness, dependence. And so the Spirit of God, like we're no longer under the law, but we have something greater than the law. It's not this external thing we read about. It's now this internal person that we have a day-to-day relationship with and we walk in and we keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God. And, and, it's, and he is more powerful than the law could ever be. And he is more beautiful than the law could ever be. And he is more personal than the law could ever be. And so um, as believers, our life is designed to yield to the Holy Spirit of God in us, teaching us, guiding us, um, convicting us of sin, teaching us what to say, showing us um, how we should live. Uh, the final thing I want to talk about here before I, I close up shop for today 
um, is there's three uses of the law, the, the mirror, the curb, the guide, but there's also, when we read the Old Testament, there's three um, types of law. There's the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. Um, and when we're considering, like, as Christians, how should we look at the Old Testament law? Um, I think a helpful way to think about this is is through the three categories. So when we're talking about the the ceremonial law, we're talking about the the calendars, we're talking about the rituals, we're talking about Passover and um, the Day of Atonement and different festivals, and um, uniformly across the New Testament, the the Christian is not under the ceremonial law. As a matter of fact, Paul is very forceful in Colossians about uh, the Colossian Christians not obeying the ceremonial laws, that they're, they're useless for the Christian. Why celebrate Passover? First of all, the food is terrible. I've done a Passover feast before. It's awful. There's no seasoning. Who wants that? It's bland. It's boring. It's, it's unleavened. Yuck. Don't give me that. So not only is, is, is it bad <laughs> on just a human experiential level, we don't need to celebrate the Passover. The Passover has happened. God passed over us as his own son, Jesus, died once for all. The sacrificial lamb that was given once for all. It is finished, is what Jesus declares. That's the ceremonial law. The civil law has to do with maybe ownership, um, lending, vows, um, refuge cities. You'll see that there in, in the Old Testament. And the civil laws was how the judges governed um, ancient Israel. And the New Testament Christian, we are not under um, the, the civil laws either. Uh, while we look at those things and, and we consider like, man, when I make a vow, I want to make that vow. That has less to do with the Old Testament and more to do with let your yes be yes as a good, integrity-filled, honorable Christian. So we're not under the civil law either. However, there's the moral law. There's the, that's the third category. That's the Ten Commandments, um, basically sums up the whole moral law. And when we're considering the Ten Commandments, that's how humans behave between each other and humans behave with God. Like how we, how we relate is a better way to say that. Relate to each other and relate to God. And so there's things like honoring your father and mother. Um, there's things like don't steal, um, don't covet. These are very basic moral laws. And if we were to go read the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, he takes the moral laws and he turns the dial up to 100 on those things. So don't commit adultery. And Jesus says, if you even lusted at a person who's not your spouse, you have committed adultery in your heart. He turns it up. And so um, the moral law is something that I personally believe that as a Christian, we are still bound to behave in a way um, that God requires of us. And we will fail, but we are to constantly look at that and say, God says in First Peter to be holy as I am holy, and his moral law shows his holiness to us, and I want to live into that as best I can. I want to put to death things that are immoral, and I want to put on and live into things that are moral. Um, and then at the end of the day, it is the gospel of grace that forgives us when we fail, and it is the gospel of grace that empowers us, sanctifies us, grows us to look more and more like Jesus, to have Christ formed in us. And so when you're looking at the Old Testament and you're reading and you're like, man, what do I do with shellfish? And what do I do with clothing of mixed fabric? And and what do I do like if my my wife is maybe she's menstruating right now and I touched her? Like, what do, do I have to go through all these cleanliness laws? No. 
None of that is binding to the New Testament Christian. But when we look at the moral law summed up in the Ten Commandments as a Christian, we should say, we should say, this isn't to gain forgiveness or gain acceptance or make myself lovable. It's because I am forgiven. I am accepted and God does love me that I want to live into embodying these things and becoming these things progressively until Jesus returns or I die and go um, be with him. And it's all summed up. I said, said it yesterday. It's all summed up in love of God and love of neighbor. Um, is your living, is your thinking causing an increase in your life of a love of God and a love of neighbor? If so, you're doing it, man. The Spirit's leading you. If your theology, if your practice, if your living is causing you to love God less or love neighbor less, then there's some tweaks you need to make. There's something that's off in your soul and you need to reconsider like what is causing me to love God less and love neighbor less. And so when we're thinking about when we're reading through the Old Testament, I want to recommend because you're probably, if you're in a Bible reading plan, if you're in our Bible reading plan right now, you're still in the Old Testament because I'm still in the Old Testament and we're reading these things. We're thinking, man, what, 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 what is it that I am bound to? And consider what Jesus said. What is the greatest commandment? Love God and love neighbor as yourself, which I believe is is the, the full culmination of the moral law of the Old Testament summed up to, a, to us um, through the words of Jesus. So uh, we're coming up on 30 minutes here. I went a little longer than I thought I would and just did a little bit of uh, rabbit trails and, and thoughts. And, and you guys are just, if you've ever seen uh, Parks and Rec, you know, thoughts for your thoughts. I'm just kind of, giving you some of those those thoughts that I've been, um, and you guys have made fun of me for this, the things that I've been noodling on lately. Stop making fun of me for that because you're going to start using it. And and when you do use it, I'm going to make fun of you way harder than you made fun of me. Um, so these are some things that I've just been thinking on and dwelling on as we've worked through Galatians because it's been really challenging for me to consider more deeply how do I, as a New Testament Christian, a follower of Jesus, relate to what I read in the in the Old Testament? How do I think about Moses and Abraham and being and being, you know, united to the offspring of Abraham Abraham? And how do I think about the sacrificial system? And how do I think about the temple? And how do I think about the ceremonies and the rituals and and those kind of things? And and frankly, uh, for me as uh, not as a pastor at all, not as a husband, a dad, but as a son of God, Galatians has been so encouraging to me because I, I'm, I'm seeing myself afresh as someone who has been set free by Jesus to live for Jesus and not in a way, again, that, that cleans myself up because I can't do that. Not in a way that I'm bootstrapping it or white knuckling it, but in a way that says, Jesus gave it all for me. Jesus died that I might live. I'm going to live for him in all things. And as far as it depends upon me, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to work alongside the Holy spirit to, to cultivate a life where I'm putting sin to death. I'm purging it from my life. Um, and I'm putting on holiness. And so these are just some of my thoughts and the ways I've been encouraged by Galatians and this this passage from this past Sunday. So as always, thanks for tuning in. Please continue to submit questions. Um, it's the one time that uh, you have permission to get on your phone and text during a sermon. Uh, all of you pretend 
like you're, uh, you know, looking at the Bible app on your phone. I know you're just playing Wordle. I can see it in the reflection on your glasses. No, I'm just messing with you. Bring your paper Bibles. I, I love the sound of, of the Bible turning. I love the pages. I love getting into the nitty gritty, the tactile nature of God speaking to us. Um, but during the sermon, if something pops up and you, like, it's okay, pull your phone out, shoot a quick text to again, 909-317-3508. And we would love to continue to answer those questions as we have several weeks, a couple more months of Galatians ahead of us, and it's about to get spicy. Speaking of spicy, um, I'm going to finish with something fun. Uh, I ate at Pinwheel Pasta last Wednesday night, and that place is delicious. Local business, small business, uh, you should support them. I got the gnocchis with a spicy bolognese sauce. I think that's how you say it. Um, And my goodness, that like caused worship in my soul. It was so, so good. Um, I love spicy food. They delivered on that. So uh, we are sponsored today by Pinwheel Pasta, and uh, it's been good to talk at you. Hope you've been encouraged. We will see you Sunday. We love you, church. Church.